So imagine a couple, 16, 66 years old, you choose, and you know them well enough to know that when they first got to know each other, just hearing the other's voice or catching a glimpse of the other one literally made their skin tingle. But now something has slipped or plummeted through their fingers, and you observe them side by side, but worlds apart. Wow. Now imagine a different scene. You're in Starbucks, and you notice um, a senior employer standing there waiting for their morning cup. And they've been joined by the new intern at or apprentice at the place of employment that they're both at. And you can already tell that that more senior person is looking at this very junior person and thinking the bureaucracy and politics of this workplace is going to sink this person. (laughs) They are never going to survive the shop floor, the construction site, the law firm, the, the medical clinic, whatever it is. But that young person still has ambition and possibility in everything that they do. And you just see them standing there waiting for their coffee. Side by side, worlds apart. Imagine two podiums in Vegas of all places. (laughs) Two presidential candidates, literally a handshake apart. Oh, wait, that didn't happen either. (laughs) Side by side. Wow, worlds apart. It happens all the time, it always has. Jesus is a great storyteller. He seizes on things like that, our human reality, to craft a really direct, powerful parable. That's today's gospel reading. He does it all in six verses. And if you want to drill down to what he is most trying to communicate to us, usually what we say is look to the last line. The last line of any parable is going to be the point that he's driving to. There's a little correction with that in today's parable because the very last line is what? Anyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Anyone who humbles themselves will be exalted, which is similar to the line, the last will be first, the first will be last. I think Luke, as an evangelist, thought that that was so mind-blowing for his original audience, um, so difficult for them actually to comprehend that he repeats it after a number of parables, sometimes when it doesn't even fit, although it does fit this particular one. But chances are that may not be the original ending. The original ending might be the first half of verse 14, which is the line where it says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And the key part of that line is, this man went down to his house. Because Jesus would have known that in his original audience, a Jewish audience, uh, every Jewish person would have said that the, the, the two men in the story are in their ultimate house to begin with. They're in the temple, which is the house of God, which for ultimately a Jew was their, their, their home as well. The place where they were closest to their natural purpose and identity. And yet, when they leave this very public place to go back to their private places, Jesus says, when they make that transition from one house to the next, one goes down to his house justified and not the other. 
And you wonder, what's the difference between the two of them? I mean, obviously, Jesus spells it out. But um, it's, it's almost more accentuated than it seems when you hear it in English. So, for example, think of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were lay people like you who were super intense about learning all of the laws of Moses and then living them out. But this guy is even over the top as far as the Pharisees are concerned because he does a couple of things. Uh, normally, a, a normally observant Jew would fast at the main festivals. Maybe once a year would fast during the weekday, twice during the week. The way this guy speaks, or the way Jesus speaks of him, it's as if this guy fasts twice a week all the time. Over the top. And he gives a tenth of his income. We're in the midst of stewardship time. How many of you have ever heard a sermon on tithing? It means giving a tenth of your income. Few of you have. Probably not here. I actually haven't talked that much about tithing because, interestingly, it's not a requirement of the Jewish law. It's a superlative action by a person of faith. This guy is over the top in how often he fasts, how much he gives, and his prayer posture. A Jew in that time would pray out loud, but they'd pray facing straight ahead with the rhythm of the prayer. This guy looks up. Meanwhile, there's the tax collector, hated by everybody in that culture because it would have been a Jew who's collecting taxes for the Romans, who oppressed the Jewish people and taking the cut for himself and doing very well in the process. And as a result, receiving the, the, the continuous nonstop uh, hatred of people who felt like he was selling them out. And he does something unique as well. He prays head down and he beats his breast, which a man never did. That was reserved for women in that culture. In other words, in a sense, he, I mean this contextually, lowers himself in a way that no one, a man in his position, never would. But it's where he's coming from. And now I've digressed. Imagine that in a sermon. That never happens. I've digressed from the home thing. The whole home issue. How are they at home or not? And I think you can already kind of sense what it is. The Pharisee in this very public setting, as religious as he is, is not at home. Because it isn't about God. It's about him both to lift him up how great he is and to put others down. I'm not like the greedy people, the sinner people, the adulterers, and I'm especially not like this tax collector. And you get a sense that when he leaves this place to go to his home, nothing will change, that he's out of touch. Meanwhile, the tax collector is so in touch that the pain oozes out of him. I'm not worthy. But what he does in public is consistent with probably who he is in private. Someone who has reached a breaking point doesn't want to be the disappointment to his people and himself that he has been. Time to change. Time to change. He's at home wherever he is. The Pharisee is not. Because at some essential level, you cannot love your neighbor as yourself 
if you start by holding them in contempt. Which, of course, is the point. Luke is so today. He is so today. We live in such a culture of contempt right now. It oozes out of not just public communications, but people's daily conversations and and writings. And and it's so easy to see how messed up it is and to complain about it. Jesus lived in a messed up world too. But he was relentless and constantly saying to anyone who was willing to listen, you have no right really to complain about what's wrong out there if you haven't dealt with the part of it that you make happen yourself, if you haven't accounted for your own contribution to the mess. So what do you contribute to the mess? How will you work on it? This culture of contempt that each of us somehow must add to. Simple stuff, actually. I mean, if you read it this week, if you listen to it, if you watch it, turn it off. Put it down. Don't let someone profit personally or financially from piling contempt upon contempt. We don't have to keep buying into that. And if you're talking with somebody, especially if you're talking with somebody you agree with, and they're making their point or expressing their opinion, but it includes contempt of others, don't let that go unchallenged. Don't let it go unchallenged. Their point, no matter how worthy, is invalidated if they cannot express it without holding others in contempt. Maybe you can visualize what's really going on in this parable. There are these two people who are side by side. But they are worlds apart, and it's because of their posture, their positioning. Because when you're side by side, all you can do is see the silhouette of the other person. You can't see their whole person. And when you're side by side, you just end up talking past each other. And what Jesus longs for you and I to do is to give up the posture of side by side and actually stand there face to face. Look each other in the eye. It is really hard to be contemptuous of another human being when you're looking at him right in the eye. But more importantly, it is really easy to love your neighbor as yourself. When you see their pain, when you see the emptiness, when you see the need in their eye, if you're looking at them face to face, you can love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe it's just in my imagination, and not always reality, I realize. But wouldn't it perhaps be true that if you were 16 or 66, and you'd been talking past each other for a long time, and instead chose to be face-to-face. Maybe what had been slipping away, you can catch. And if you're the senior person in the line at Starbucks, 
Might it not be possible that you decide that your own cynicism and disappointment does not need to define that other person's reality? Maybe they should define yours. We can all do this for a week. Can't we all do this for a week? To quit walking side by side. To face our fellow human beings face to face. And in so doing, you don't have to live worlds apart.